We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, and today I'm here with my co-host, Marsha. Hi, I'm Marsha Bivens, the Director of Marketing for Pioneer X. Today, our guest is Trent Thede. He is the president of Pass National. Trent, welcome. All right, Trent. Mama say, mama sa, mama kufa. Name that song. That's what um, we were debating. I can, <laughs> I, I, um... It's on the tip of your tongue too, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know it. I can Michael, sing it. Come on, it is Michael come on. Jackson. Sing um, it's Michael Jackson. What is that? What it is? It's Michael Jackson. But what's the song? Um, it, it's like chanting in my head. Now it's chanting. We're all gonna be. That's what. We're really vibing yeah. in the middle. We'll chant that together. It was, uh, want to be starting something. Got to be starting something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. All right. Now that we're all pumped up, hello. <laughs> all right. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know that, um, I don't know that we've met. I, I, I meet people and don't remember them because. Yeah, so Trent is uh, speaking on the in the QS1 track. Oh, nice. And uh-huh. um, I spoke to him about his product and what they do and how important that would be to kind of have a booth at Connect and really put that in front of also Pioneer users as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I get to we get to meet him in person in a couple of weeks. Well, the plug, I, I was on my way uh, as, uh, talking to Josh Howland before I came in here today, and I, I told him we have who we had with the uh, – on the podcast, and he's he's a nice guy. I'm like, okay, <laughs> oh, that's, that's that's a good start. That's a, a yeah. nice guy's a good start. Well, welcome. Um, looking forward to that. maybe we'll get to meet in person at Connect. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just kind of quick. How did you get into what you're doing today? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's an interesting story, Jeff. And I think it, um, it depends on how much time I want to spend on it. But I think one of the challenges of my, my previous job, I was overseeing long-term care pharmacies. And I was traveling throughout the Midwest, um, being on the road 55, 60,000 miles a year. And having a younger family, it really wasn't conducive to a great work-life balance. I was leaving at seven, getting home at seven, and not really being able to see um, my eldest daughter at the time. And so I made the change. And one of the opportunities that PASS had presented was um, minimal travel, right? Going to the same office. I haven't gone to the same office uh, for work in uh, probably 15 years. So it was a unique opportunity to get off the road and use some of my other skill sets that I have from my business side to help independent community pharmacies. Kids, how old your daughter now? Well, so I have five kids, so we can spend okay. a lot of time nice. with family if you'd like. <laughs> Good yeah. job. 
good, good job. Thank you for taking your role in repopulating the earth. Jeff, so. Jeff's doing daily math and going, you should have had one more kid. Kaylee, you're going to have to have yeah, three no, I kids. I told my daughter, well, you know, I know this employee who's not going to have any kids and this employee is not going to have any kids. And I'm like, okay, Kaylee, so to keep the earth populated, you have to have 2.7. That means you got to do yours and this one's in this one. So that means you have to have seven kids. Um, it, interesting statistic we're looking at just this morning is that this is the first year China's population is going to decrease. Is that right? So the, the human race is dying out, and Trent is trying to save it. So appreciate My it. My wife and I, yeah, we're doing what we can. Tell, tell us about those five kids. <laughs> yeah, so um, the oldest actually is 22. So I have a daughter who actually just finished college, believe it or not. Wow. So, wow. And okay, she's the congrats. reason I'm a pharmacist, oddly enough. So uh, I had – I got – three people in my life that really were influential for me becoming a pharmacist. Um, I first give credit to my dad, right? Any good parent, the junior year of high school, um, you know, we sat down, what are you going to want to do with your life? And I really wanted to do business. He had um, done the business track. I, I really liked business um, and I liked law. I was like, I want to go to business school or law school. I'm not really sure. Um, and he said, well, what about pharmacy? Pharmacy is a great great profession. You're really good at chemistry. You're good at math. And I'm like, I, I don't see it, dad, you know, and any good teenagers not listening to their parents. I'm like, this is, oh, I don't no. think pharmacy yeah. sounds very interesting to me. And I'm just like, you know, I'm going to, he kept pushing it, put planting that seed, but I was like, no, no. Um, I, I don't think that that's the route I want to take. I, I, I want to kind of be a little bit nebulous, but business school, law school, figure something out while I'm in college. In between, my junior and my senior year in high school, my girlfriend got pregnant. And so that really accelerated my thought process. What am I going to do with my life? I really needed to get things in order, right? Life can come at you fast. Yeah, I love I really how you went. To... You did this. You, you did this kind of third person. My girlfriend got pregnant, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not I got my girlfriend I pregnant. It's kind of yeah, like, I... it's kind of like third party. Like I, Oops, she got, bad. this happened to her. I certainly played a role. Um, in that <laughs> depth, so, uh, aptly, aptly put, um, so I had to kind of make some decisions in life. Right. And, and I had to decide what I was going to do and, and really to fast track it. Um, I thought, you know, maybe pharmacy is the way to go. And so I went to work for a community pharmacy. Yay. It was the fall of um, 99, and I worked for Shopco. It was a regional retailer based out of Green Bay, and they had a community pharmacy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to find out if this is really what I want to do. And I couldn't have landed at a better pharmacy. It... Um, was just a couple miles from Lambeau Field. Of course, growing up in Green Bay, everything's within a few miles of Lambeau Field. But um, it was a lower income area, Medicaid population, and the pharmacy um, was generating about 600 prescriptions a day on a seven-day average. Super wow. busy, very high volume. And at the time, pharmacists were hard to come by. So the pharmacists that were all working there were very young, a couple of years into their profession. And I learned really two things um, from being and working in that pharmacy. One is, you know, when you're in the trenches, um, what makes all the difference is the people that you're working with, right? And so yep. having a great team around you um, helps to make you successful, you make them successful, and you have fun at work, right? And that's one of the cool things about 
um, what I experienced in that pharmacy was, man, they had a lot of fun. They, they got work done. And the second thing I learned about was really the profession of pharmacy. It wasn't the pharmacists counting pills and just putting pills in vials. It was really the impact they had on the community, on the patients, and taking that knowledge, being younger, aggressive pharmacists, and really sharing that with their patient base. And so I decided that, you know, yeah, this is not only a profession I could do, but a, a profession I eventually fell in love with and said, yeah, this is great. Um, and obviously went into pharmacy from there. We have a new um, we we uh, as of yesterday, and I'm, I'm educating everybody on this and seeing if it'll stick. So, as independent pharmacies, we we've kind of moved away from the word community pharmacy because the chains have tried to steal it. He's right? pulling right now. And, <laughs> but but I love this idea of community. So so we're gonna combine them together, and we're an in community pharmacy, right? Talking yeah. about how the pharmacists, the pharmacies day that are super successful the pharmacist is out from behind the counter and they're in community. They're visiting with public health or they're visiting with the schools and they're, they're really involved in what's going on. So in, it's going to stick. Yes. No. All right. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So, um, that's your daughter. She graduated yep. in what? Uh, licensed practical nurse. Nice. And the other four. And so the other four, so my wife and I, um, we've been, we've known each other for 11 years, married for seven next week. So please remind me if I forget. I think I, I got it on the calendar. <laughs> I just um, celebrated my anniversary as well. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So um, we have four four children together. And so the oldest, Reagan, she's five. Um, she just graduated 4K yesterday. Okay. Um, she has a dance recital she's super excited about tomorrow. Wow. Um, return to Pooh Corner. Um, very. It's going to be <laughs> a beautiful rendition. Uh, about two minutes. Super cute. Love it. Um, and so um, that's the five-year-old. Then we mm -hmm. have Harrison. He's three. And Remington, she's just over one and a half. And then we have Adeline, who is three months. Wow. Oh, wow. Newbie, it's newbie. Busy, the cute yeah. stages. Before they hit house. the teens, and then you're like, okay. So tell us a little bit about PASS. Yeah, PASS. So PASS has been around since 1993 helping community pharmacies really in their dealings with third parties and primarily third party audits, right? So for the past um, almost 30 years, we've been trying to help community pharmacies navigate that audit pathway. And obviously things have changed from 93 to today, but we're working to make sure that pharmacies not only are reactive to the audits they get, mm -hmm. but proactive in terms of education. And so we do a lot of education in terms of trying to warn pharmacies about what things were seen on audits, what things to do, what things not to do, and then also navigating them through that audit process and helping to review documentation and make sure that uh, when they submit their audits that things are up to par. We work with more than 5,000 pharmacies across the U.S., members in all 50 states of wow. Puerto Rico, and we see nearly 10,000 audits a year. Wow. So all day long, we have pharmacists uh, reviewing audit after audit after audit and working and educating um, pharmacies about what's happening and what to do and how to respond best based on their circumstances. So that's an average of about two audits a year of pharmacy. Yep. Uh, said 5, Give or take. Yep. I'm working on, you said mm -hmm. you were good at math. I'm just checking mine. <laughs> um, do you see though, do, do some pharmacies get 
picked on more than others. You know, one of the things that we really oh, yeah. try to push in, in Pioneer X is, is you know, if I really push period to pharmacy, if, if they're drive by, and this is all you're going to correct me. I'm, this is, I'm asking, this has been my opinion. You know, a lot of times they'll do a drive by, uh, you know, they'll, they'll send you, Hey, send us information on these 10 or something like that. And if that information, you look like your stuff's together, they're moving along. But if it doesn't look like you're together, do you find this initial kind of test audit that leads to a bigger audit a lot? I think, I don't know that I, we find drive-by so much. What I will say, Jeff, is if you're unsuccessful on an audit, you can expect more audits to come. If you, if you have significant recoupments, if a PBM recoups $20,000, $30,000 from you, you can expect that they're going to come back, especially if you don't make it hard for them, if you don't appeal, if you don't um, do everything you can okay. to make it difficult to take that money from you. Mm -hmm. If you just willingly give back what they're asking for, um, you're asking to be revisited. And so we don't see so much testing the water. There are nowadays what we call these prescription validation requests where a PBM will submit an audit or request documentation the same day you adjudicate the claim, the next day. Typically a single claim, but a very short turnaround time based on certain parameters, whether it's dollar amount, a billing anomaly, they wanna see that prescription up front. Um, and so we have seen a vast expansion of that in the last three or four years, um, whereas it was kind of non-prevalent before that. So we definitely see a little bit of the testing the water on the prescription validation request. But what I would say is certainly the performance on any individual audit it will dictate potentially additional audits. There's also communication between PBMs. If they know that a pharmacy is a bad actor or not performing well or not doing the right things, um, there's communication potentially to encourage other PBMs to to look at that pharmacy as well. Wouldn't that be illegal? Wouldn't that be collusion? Yeah. So there are some state regulations on that and saying, you know, what when an audit happens, there are protections in place in a lot of areas, but there's also some iMedic and Medicare contractors and government contractors that say if a pharmacy doesn't perform well, they give a pharmacy a score. So they may not share exact details about the audit. They're not saying, here's what happened, here's, but they're giving pharmacies potentially a score of how they perform. It's not published, it's not known, it's all behind the doors, but they're communicating to identify potentially bad actors in the industry to root them out. So I wouldn't say, Jeff, that it's really a problem for your run-of-the-mill everyday independent pharmacies that are trying to do the right things and perhaps just have some billing anomalies or errors here or there. It's really targeting more so the, the fraudsters, the problematic pharmacies that aren't doing good things for the industry. Is there things that happen in the pharmacy that puts spotlights on the pharmacy that makes the PBMs come in and go, ooh, 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 audit, audit? Yep, absolutely. What um, are those triggers? Doubt. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a bunch of triggers that pharmacies um, have happened to them or that they're doing in their billing algorithms that create those audits, right? Audits are not random. The vast, vast majority of audits are very targeted. They're looking at claim outliers. They're looking at a lot of different parameters to say, geez, this doesn't fit within the norm. This day supply, this quantity, this pharmacy is re-adjudicating these claims and manipulating certain criteria to circumvent plan limits. So there are a lot of flags that a pharmacy um, 
can have happened to them that is going to warrant an audit. One of the biggest um, is manipulating or editing day supply. And this is something that actually Josh and I had a conversation about. Um, it goes back a couple of years, really early in the pandemic. And we were talking about when a claim is adjudicated and the plan limits are exceeded, but you can't reduce the package size. So it's an unbreakable package. And wow. insulin is one of our favorite example, insulin pens. So mm -hmm. you dispense a full box of insulin pens, and let's say it lasts 75 days, but the plan limit says you can only get a 30-day supply. Well, the pharmacy is kind of stuck if they're not going to break the box, which we advise them not to do um, due to FDA labeling. The pharmacy is stuck. Okay, do I change the day supply from 75 to 30 and, and bill that? Do I try and get an override and call the help desk? Well, usually the help desk is, is helpless, and so they won't give you an override. So you're mm -hmm. forced to then bill the claim as a 30-day supply. And that can be a great pitfall for pharmacies because what happens is then accidentally you put that patient on MedSync or you, you refill that prescription much earlier than what it's called for. Walgreens right. had this problem. And, and so what started the whole trend of breaking insulin pen boxes and not breaking insulin pen boxes what is actually a Department of Justice settlement for $209 million against Walgreens for failure to break insulin pen boxes, and so they were refusing to prior to the FDA labeling change, and they were billing the 30-day supply because of plan limits, but then they put those patients on auto refill, regardless of how long that product was supposed to last. And so the Department of Justice had cited widespread fraud of patients selling their insulin on eBay and Craigslist because they were accumulating so much wow. based on how much it would last. And so plan limits uh, and, and making sure that pharmacies are adhering to that, one of the things that pharmacists don't always think about is when you adjudicate that claim the first time, that 75-day, and it gets rejected, the PBM knows that is probably the accurate day supply. Then they see a second claim for 30 days, right? So now they know, okay, it was 75 days, but I know you're billing at 30. Now I'm going to watch to see how often you fill that. And if you fill it early, mm -hmm. we're gonna come back and take that money. And it's just an easy algorithm. There's, there's a lot of algorithms kind of like that where PBMs say, gotcha. And they know before they even come in, they're gonna stand a great chance at some significant recoupments like that. Interesting. So they, they build it at a 30 day supply, but the price was the same. Right. It's just the day supply to be transmitted. Yeah. You know, I Correct. think in our yep. system, you would just, so I, I was talking to some people about this the other day. In our system, you would just override. We have a way to override the claim. So you just set, you would just send 30 days in the claim, but still your day supply in, in Pioneer would still be 75, so you wouldn't fill yeah. it too soon. That's exactly what Josh, Josh and I were talking about a couple of years ago, and because that's the thing that you want, and, and I, am, I implore the proactiveness of Pioneer to do those kinds of things and help pharmacies with that, right? So if you have in the system and you know it's 75 days, you can have alerts or soft edits to say, hey, don't don't fill this at 30 days or be careful with with MedSync and it won't, you know, automatically fill it at 30 day increments. It'll tell you, no, no, this this medication is going to last a lot longer if you're even putting insulin on, on MedSync. So uh, those kinds of advantages are, are great systematic solutions to preventing pharmacies from um, recoupments, because if you're refilling that early, it's a full recoupment. If you fill it every right. 30 days, the PBMs will gladly take back the payment. And one of the things that um, is very frustrating to a lot of pharmacy owners is that 
that payment doesn't go back to the plan sponsor, to the employer that often paid the claim. Mm-hmm. More often than not, that PBM just keeps that money. So they took the payment for that insulin from the employer, from that Part D plan or wherever, and they just pocket that and recoup it from the pharmacy. And typically there's no transparency to the audits um, and, and what's actually happening behind the scenes. So PBMs really use it to drive revenue and generate revenue for themselves. Huh. So what? Um, so those pharmacies, they're members of, of PASS? Yep. Is that something you, yep. you have a membership and you get regular information? Um, yeah. Yep. So, that, so it's a membership. Um, it's an all-inclusive membership on an annual basis. We try and make it as cost-effective as possible, but it's um, no matter how many audits, no matter what your needs are, filling and billing questions. And then we produce a monthly newsletter. So we're pushing out a monthly newsletter that typically contains about 12 articles talking about, hey, here are the things that PBMs are currently auditing. Here's what we've seen on audits. Make sure to do this. Don't do this. Here are some things we've seen from the Department of Justice in terms of enforcement. Don't do these things. Be very careful about X, Y, and Z. Um, and just education. And really, we we email that to every employee in the pharmacy if they add them all in so that obviously your frontline technicians, that's where the, the knowledge is most valuable. The people entering the orders can make sure they're entering it correctly so your pharmacists don't have to catch as much. Um, but then also we are mailing that to pharmacies to make sure that they're getting the content and reviewing it. So, uh, so a pharmacy that's not a member who gets an audit, can they join them? They can. Okay. Um, they, they can join. We ask if they're under an audit and they need assistance, we ask that they join for two years because okay. we have an upfront investment in that relationship. Right. So if they don't have an audit, um, it's a one-year join. And if they get audits throughout the year, we'll help them. If they're actively involved in an audit, they can join for two years. Our, our track record, Jeff, when we get involved at the start of an audit, so you just got an audit notice and you reach out to us, we have a 91% reduction in audit findings. If wow. you have findings, let's say you have findings, you just went through the audit and you got results and you're not happy about it, we still average a 70 plus percent reduction in findings. Wow. So it's knowing the avenues for appeal, what options there are. Sometimes they're published, sometimes they're unpublished. And knowing how to be able to navigate those pathways based on the auditing entity. Is it a um, contracted auditor? Is it Medicare? Is it a PBM that's auditing you or a plan sponsor? And just knowing what are my appeal options and then how to appropriately um, resolve discrepancies on the audit. So um, recently, um, there was a controversy uh, with one of the bigger PBMs uh, (laughs) around um, bulk purchases. Yeah, Josh and I, I Josh and I traded emails right when it happened because we had about 40 pharmacies. The day the edit turned on, we probably had 40 pharmacies call us um, wow. that were Pioneer RX members saying, "What what's going on? What's this edit?" We wrote, we had we had written about this um, back in Feb- January, February. We um, Caremark updates their provider manual every year, but they actually physically print it and mail it every other year, and so. On the even years, it's a big to-do, and on the odd years, they just have um, amendments and updates. So typically on the odd years, there's not a lot going on with Caremark, um, but in the even years, it's a whole reprint. And so we had caution. There were several different updates, and one of them was the the bulk purchasing restrictions and the the concerns around um, those caveats. So I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with, with the, the edits, the 
Uh, I definitely had that as a hot topic <laughs> to discuss or, or think about in terms of uh, what does bulk purchasing mean? How do pharmacies need to navigate it? What does it really mean on an audit? Right, Jeff, that's what pharmacies are, are kind of struggling to understand. And we're actually, um, as a result, even we, we put out a memo because we had so many uh, pharmacies calling us and asking us about per bulk purchases and not really understanding um, how Caremark does their auditing when it comes to invoice audits. Invoice audits are their own unique difficult creature to navigate for pharmacies. And um, we can certainly dive into that a little bit, talk about why they're so complex and why pharmacies struggle. But, you know, the the bulk purchasing requirements and then the update, right? So Caremark, there was a lot of industry backlash, which I think was great. Pharmacies and, and everyone was, uh, the advocacy was there. And we've got a little um, movement in terms of Caremark. They rarely issue these mid-year updates, and, and right, so they issued a mid-year update, sent it out to pharmacies and said, hey, we understand that there's some concern in the industry, we're willing to make some concessions. One of the things that I found appalling from the very start, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you guys are with me, but you know, this bulk purchasing request, not only the whole process in and of itself, if I have a valid invoice, that should be enough, right? right? Mm -hmm. If I can yep. be able to show invoices, that should be enough. But not only that, but in order to qualify for a bulk purchase, we want you to send us a letter in the U.S. mail. This is a, a billion-dollar, you know, entity. We want you to mail us seven days in advance, and we will respond via mail. I mean, uh, in today's world, the fact that they wouldn't even set up an email address in the first place, right, to say, here's form. how we're going to handle yeah. this. Yeah. I, I mean, they have a portal. They have all those resources. They did it intentfully. Right. Yep. They yeah. weren't interested in having to navigate and have a bunch of requests. They wanted to make it arduous and, and difficult for any independent owner to comply. And that's where um, I think they recognized maybe there's there's some wiggle room and it provided some concessions to to the process. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually because of the confusion, Jeff, we're having a webinar. It's an open webinar for anyone um, June 15th. Okay. And it's going to be like 45 minutes. Um, we'll we'll have it out on our social media, and it's it's for any independent pharmacy. We send it out. Um, we give should post that on our, on our uh, yeah on our system message. Yeah, I would love to love to share. We it would love to it's, include it's, that. Yeah, because it's open to anyone, right? And it's really understanding what kind of purchases put me at risk for being in non-compliance. Non-compliance, we'll say, mm -hmm. with Caremark's bulk purchasing requirement. Really. Um, the risk is predicated on uh, several different factors. And so what we have done is kind of walk pharmacies through scenarios. Let's talk about what Caremark is, your business, right. what percent of your business, how are you bulk purchasing today? Let's say you're not bulk purchasing. And, and then what happens if you're, you're spec buying six months worth of inventory? Mm -hmm. and, and how do these audits impact and change that? I think Caremark rightfully so um, – struck out some of the language that created some of the confusion around 30 days because they essentially um, define bulk purchasing as anything that lasts more than 30 days. Mm -hmm. And really, that was a poor decision by them. They obviously removed that. They struck it. It was in parentheses. They had, you know, in other words, uh, inventory that lasts more than 30 days. And that created a whole lot of issues and confusion for any pharmacy because every pharmacy, every CVS pharmacy has inventory that lasts 30 days and they're not filing bulk purchase requirements. You and, know? This, and this was a situation where, so really what it said was we've got this analysis period plus 30 days before the analysis period. 
Okay. Yep. And and if the analysis period was a day, you'd you'd have to have nothing that lasted more than 30 days. Now what they say is, well, the analysis period is always a year by practice. So you're looking at a year plus a month that you had enough invoices to substantiate what you what you dispense. That could still be a problem. Yep. I have pharmacists who dispense something they bought two years ago because it's rarely used and and still yeah. good. But but there's a situation where and, and lawyers do this all the time. Lawyers know they need X. And they write X plus infinity so that when it gets carved back a little bit, they're still in with what they want rather than saying exactly what what they're trying to do. And, and the yep. problem with, you know, there's no real trust of PBMs. And, <laughs> and the problem yep. is, is when, when a person says, hey, I'm going to point a nuclear weapon at you, but I'm not really going to use it. It's only really for the bad guy, Right. I'm going to use this other thing I have for the bad guy and it's just hard. It's got to be carved back and they're still in and, 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 and to the credit of the movement um, Caremark is actually still working with um, uh, the APHA on trying to get a fact out to further describe it. I think they made a lot of statements to a variety of people in here that help will carve it back. They made a lot of statements to me that, Hey, if there was a problem they carve it back, you know, they claim they're looking for fraud you know, they're looking for fake drugs. They're looking for um, things like that. But they're they're building this big, big threatening thing. And, and we've had pharmacists who were following it. Everything they bought other than 30 days, they sent an email to them and they said, they said, yeah. stop. You know, we, yeah. you know, this isn't what we mean. Well, all this creates good evidence. Um, yeah. Yep. And, and, and so I, I think it was uh, super beneficial um, how, how the, the everybody has reacted and including you guys and, and the help that you've provided there. I totally agree, Jeff. And I think it, it's definitely a positive move in the direction. And to your point, right. Um, my experience in working with attorneys, right. If they can be nebulous and, um, capture everything. And even if they only want a small piece of it, they certainly will craft the language accordingly. So it, it's, it's exactly that talking about the scenarios, what kinds of things, what happens if you have dead inventory that sits on your shelf for two years, um, one of the things that, that pharmacies um, struggle to understand in, in relation to Caremark, when they look at purchases over a time frame, and it traditionally mm -hmm. is always 12 months, right? Doesn't mean can't change. We say typically or traditionally 12 months um, plus a month. So you got 13 months of purchases, 12 months of claims. One of the things for Caremark in particular is Caremark only looks at Caremark claims. Right. And so if they're 30% of your business, you only have to show you'll have plenty 30%. of percent. Right. You'll have plenty okay. of purchases, but it depends on the drug, right? Every drug. It's not you can't say 30% of the business across every single NDC because they may prefer Ventolin over Pro Air and ProVental, which means they're 70% of your Ventolin purchases. And now you spec bought Ventolin because you had a great opportunity and you bought six months supply and you can run into an issue. And it's kind of understanding those kinds of parameters of when when would a book purchase really constitute a potential problem for me in a traditional sense mm -hmm. and and can pharmacies really navigate that to the ndc level i mean they can't right, right. I mean, mm -hmm. you have in a typical in pharmacy 3000 plus ndcs and, and they're always changing and they're modifying and uh, having to understand those things and navigate that and what's the the real audit risk to an individual pharmacy so that um we can educate them and help them feel prepared um, in the event, but also the advocacy piece, right? There's a lot of state movement, both yep. 
um, at individual state levels, both from Webby and Rutledge decisions that have occurred, as you guys mm -hmm. well know, and certainly NCPA. And so leveraging the advocacy standpoint as well, the better you understand how PBMs are constraining your business, the better you can advocate successfully at the state and federal level for what, what things are happening to your pharmacy and what things really need to change and, and whether that's state regulations or otherwise um, to be successful. So are you working with any um, other vendors or companies? Like you said, some some of your pharmacies have uh, inventory over two years. Are you working with any recycling companies and connecting them? So we definitely, we don't directly work with any vendors. I mean, a lot of pharmacies, whether they have a reverse distributor or they're mm -hmm. using a pharmacy to pharmacy, which um, we don't um, we don't condone, we don't um, dislike them. We're, we always exercise caution when right. it comes to using those because um, making sure you have the appropriate documentation and you fall within the Drug Supply Chain Security Act um, mm -hmm. exemptions um, to to do so, um, we educate pharmacies about what options are out there. We don't have vendors that we prefer or recommend or say, hey, use these guys or do this, uh, you know, MatchRx or, mm -hmm. you know, use Inmar for your reverse distributing. But we're aware of the, the platforms that are out there and kind of educate the pharmacies about what things to look for, how to, to consider moving inventory or purchasing inventory through those platforms to, to make sure you're protected. Yeah, my challenge is, and, and this isn't true of all PBMs, but a PBM who purchases a product directly should not be able to see the price that I paid for purchasing that product from somebody they might be purchasing that product from. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. That certainly have, you know, let's say said PBM buys from Cardinal and they audit a customer who buys from Cardinal. And, and they, then they're forcing that customer to show the price and quantity they bought from Cardinal in which – that the PBM also negotiates price and quantity with Cardinal. Yeah. yeah. Often they can redact. It depends. So they, they don't ask um, traditionally. There are, there are some rare circumstances, but traditionally you can redact pricing information. So when they ask for a dispensing file straight from the wholesaler, um, they can redact any, any pricing information. So it'll be quantity and NDC and a date or an invoice number, and it may or may not include pricing information. Obviously, we encourage pharmacies not to include that because it is right. anti-competitive, right? And, and can create an unfair advantage in the marketplace. Even on back takes, you know, on a single prescription, you have this back take that you're submitting that may have cost information, margin information. We encourage pharmacies to traditionally to redact that, to black it out. Um, some FWA or special investigation audits will refute or say you cannot redact anything. We need to see everything that's on your back take as it is in the current form. Um, but the vast majority, um, they can redact that kind of information if they either tell the wholesaler to make sure that it's redacted um, or submit it redacted prior to. Interesting. So maybe that's something I have to look back and see our forms that we print out for that. Maybe we should have one that's redacted that redacts that type of information. Yeah, the one thing about, so depending, when it comes to wholesalers, PBMs won't trust the pharmacy to provide their own purchasing data uh, because they are fearful of the potential for manipulation. Right. They want it straight from the source. And so they require the pharmacy to reach out to Cardinal, to McKesson, to Marisource, or whomever their wholesaler is. And that wholesaler has to send the auditor directly the purchasing file. They don't even allow it to be sent from your rep to the pharmacy to the PBM. 
because they don't want any potential uh, manipulation, right? Huh. So it has to come straight from the wholesaler in order to be valid. If a pharmacy submits a document or an invoice, um, traditionally it will be discarded in terms of audit consideration. What if the wholesaler says no? I think all of them, it'd be interesting to say, well, we're not going to provide that. Yeah. Um, if all the wholesalers just said, hey, we're not providing invoices to PBMs. It could be an interesting um, standoff to say, you know, we're not able to obtain the purchases. The wholesaler won't provide them to us. Um, the big three, obviously, are providing and, and complying and have a process, Jeff, because often there's a very short turnaround time from when I get the audit and I'm told I need the invoices to reach out to my rep to have my rep pull the appropriate date file and then send it over to the auditor. Uh, it has to happen typically very quickly. So a lot of these wholesalers they've even developed or have a process to expeditiously send these files to the PBMs because they know these invoice audits occur yeah. with um, great frequency. Any kind of state movement? Why wouldn't state, one of those things we're looking for the states is just states regulate that and just say, hey, you, you can't ask for an invoice. You know, I, I think... Um, so there certainly could be some movement on that. One of the problems is Medicare Part D preemption. And this is a problem even with state regulation, right? So the Rutledge decision really threw out ERISA, as you know. And so all these yep. commercial plans where ERISA was the vast majority of ERISA plans, um, now the states can effectively regulate PBMs on the commercial side of things. But a lot of the pharmacy business, the vast majority, Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE, and you can't regulate those at the state level, unfortunately. Well, Medicaid is at the state level, but it's a federal program. And so the problem becomes Part D preemption um, and Medicaid preemption. And so even if states pass some laws, it would be narrow in scope where audits traditionally cover all lines of business. They don't, you, you don't typically get an audit notice from Express Scripts or Optum and it says, hey, this is a Med D audit. It's a blend. Right, they're looking at claims. There might be some commercial claims. There might be some Medicaid managed care claims, and there's probably Part D claims in there. So it's a blend in the line of business. I think sometimes PBMs do that intentionally, saying, "Well, yeah, some of the claims could fall under the state audit laws or regulations, but we've got non um, non commercial claims here that that aren't preempted." Then you have to say that's all you can look at. You can say, hey, Caremark, all yeah. you can look at is your non-commercial. All you can audit is your non-commercial. There are a lot of ways the yeah. states could could help back them up. Because yeah. really, even even looking at the bulk purchasing piece, um, you know, Caremark kind of taking an enforcement that, in my opinion, really belongs to, you know, the state or, you know, because they're looking for fraud. Well, yeah. that, yeah, that's not necessarily um, their role. Yeah, it, it's extremely interesting. I will tell you, um, you know, all the PBMs, for the most part, have some type of, of invoice audit. And unfortunately, one of the things, and we'll share this when we're at Connect, and, and we're actually at um, Integra um, next week. And mm -hmm. so um, we talk a lot about some of the, the bad actors. And it comes, a, comes to be that, you know, one bad apple can really spoil the bunch. You've got pharmacies out there um, that come and go that are submitting fraudulent claims, false claims, um, in terms of millions of dollars. And, and so it really makes a bad name for all the good pharmacies that are working mm -hmm. hard, grinding day in and day out, taking care of their communities, providing vaccinations, providing testing, um, and doing all the right things. And then you have some pharmacies that, that either 
are too tempted or get talked into doing things that aren't appropriate and all of a sudden they're they're billing claims that don't exist and it just adds fuel to the fire for the PBMs or you know or plan sponsors to say we got to do these audits look at look at what we just found we just had a 30 million dollar um, fraud case and they're they're not every day uh, but a couple of times a week um, there's a Department of Justice Office of Inspector General um, something that comes out about a, a potential pharmacy pharmacist um, and some role that they played in, in committing fraud or or controlled substances, a big, big hot topic in, in over dispensing of controlled substances. Yeah, but that's a difference. You know, if it said, hey, if there's fraud, we're going to take back our fraudulent funds. You know, that's different than saying, hey, you can't find an invoice, so we're taking your money back. Oh, I- yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, I, I think there's a clear delineation, right? PBMs and auditors are known for their technicalities. They get very tic-tac-y, which is just ridiculous. If the, the right patient got the right medicine at the right time, it's a valid claim. The pharmacy ought to be paid, right? We believe the pharmacy ought to be paid, and we'll fight yeah. for them and, and help uh, um, take that as far as they need to go to a PBM to get paid. Um, because it's a generating revenue source for them, one, they don't they don't like to give pharmacies a break. But there also are very clear delineations in audits, Jeff, in my opinion, where you could say, yeah, this is probably a concern versus um, a non-concern, right? A fraudulent invoice audit, and I'll give you an example. Um, we have audits that we see that are in the millions of dollars for recoupments, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so there are either situations that are happening to that pharmacy, they're just, there's some blatant our wholesaler never sent the invoices, you know, or or there's wow. some concern about the activity of that pharmacy. It's very different than a pharmacy that had one drug that was short. Right. I was short two boxes of insulin and you're going to recoup that on me. And now you're going to um, threaten me with termination or something else. Wait, that's a very different scenario. And I full heartedly agree with you that you know, an F, uh, PBMs can hide under the guise of FWA, right? A lot of the audit laws, well, we felt like there might have been a suspicion of FWA, so we don't have to follow the audit laws mm-hmm. as well. And so they'll classify audits even on the fringe of, oh, we feel like that's uh, potential for fraud, waste, or abuse. And so we're going to categorize it that way. And they're more than happy, even if they only get two boxes of insulin, it's $1,000, they'll take it back and they'll move on. And maybe that pays for the auditor's time to, to conduct and review everything. Um, those are the kinds of things that rub us the wrong way and certainly give us um, fuel to continue to fight for the independent pharmacies out there and help them be successful in the face of, of such adversity. So um, other than your passion for, clearly your passion for pharmacy, uh, for independent community or in community pharmacy, as Jeff is now trying to coin, um, you are also an, an outdoor person, I understand. Yeah, I like the the outdoors. I, I mentioned, you know, the 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 last few years have been focused on on child rearing, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I love to cross country ski. I love to. I have a road bike. I haven't gone on it much, but um, love to. If I could, I'd, I'd play soccer. I'd still. I'd play in an adult league. I was playing indoor for a few years prior to um, my gaggle of, of children uh, that I now have, and so um, I love the outdoors and. Um, Right now, my my main motivation um, or, or source of exercise, I'm not lifting a million pounds on tonal. I, I don't have the time. I can't. I do love it. the tonal. Josh but, and I were talking about this I morning. But I am uh, uh, Harrison. Uh, both of uh, the older two, Harrison and Reagan, are both in gymnastics. And Harrison isn't old enough to go on his own 
And so dad and Harrison get to do um, gymnastics Saturday mornings for 45 minutes. And so this is my <laughs> now my source of exercise. I've gotten really good at roundoffs and cartwheels. I was about to say, roundoffs, cartwheels. Yeah, and it's a workout for me, I think, more than it is him because I'm, I'm flipping him over and I'm pushing him through the tunnel and jumping into the – um, the ball, the ball house and all this kind of stuff. So it's a lot of fun, but and that's, then next, uh, next is the, is the, uh, back handspring. <laughs> if I remember my gymnastics days. I, yeah. I don't know that I'll be, I'll be doing that. <laughs> let the kids, uh, take over at that point at, at four or five years old, they let them go on their own. So, but the little ones aren't playing soccer yet. Uh, the five-year-old is. So the five-year-old, okay. I'm the coach. Um, and so Sunday, That's Sunday awesome. afternoon. That's the age where together. the whole group kind of just moves around the, moves around yeah. the field <laughs> all together <laughs> with the ball. So, yep. yeah, five, uh, the, the four- and five-year-old age group, that was my favorite because my daughter played soccer at that age, and she was just she was on it. Yeah, she the kids who won at that she age to play. Uh, just dominate. And I'm watching this little boy walk around the – the white line that marks the field and he's lifting his shorts up and his parents are like, don't you want to go up and like go out there and play? And he just turns around and he just goes, no. And then with Cohen, he quit five minutes into it. Somebody took his ball. Some He was playing with his ball. Somebody took it and he turned around to Mark and he goes, I quit. And Mark's I'm like, nope, mad. turn around and yeah. go. Yeah, that <laughs> was the, the five-year-olds is the age too that they they start leaving and the parents come in and they're dragging them back on. And well, Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and like sure. the you girls. Know, the and the girls are the more aggressive players at that yes. age, and the boys yep. don't care. And it's just yep. so funny to watch. Well, we had to get we we had Kyle Kyle uh, got like a dollar a goal, <laughs> <laughs> and so he was out there. See, at that age, it's all about wanting it. It just had to want it, yes. and, and he once you want it, you're just dominating. It is, and yeah. then we actually found a league that we should have never gotten into. It was called Fun Fair Positive Soccer. I'm not kidding you, and. They, they told you, they told the coaches, each child is only allowed to make three goals, and then they have to start letting their teammates make a goal. And at that time, my daughter was super aggressive. And when we told her, okay, you can only make three goals, and you got to let your other teammates. And so she would get the ball up to the goal and then go, hey, it's right here, it's right here. And then somebody would steal the ball, and she would start chewing her teammate out <laughs> on the field. And we're like, Maggie. Stop, stop. I mean, this is kindergarten. She's doing this. And we're trying to like, you don't need to be in fun fair process. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's not You the, need to be in road right. race That was the soccer. south? What, what city was that in? I can't believe you have such a thing in Texas. Houston. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. No, we have we have kids who will just lay down. Like the parents will come out there. The kids just want to lay down on the grass <laughs> for 45 minutes. It's like, I can't, I, you know, you try and engage them. We're playing a lot of, um, we're not scrimmaging. So we're just doing, um, at this age, but they're they're doing games, right? So we're playing yeah. games, sharks and minnows, and clean the kitchen, and, and just some of these fun games to mm -hmm. get some basic skills and doing some uh, relays and things like that. And the, the kids have a lot of fun. But there are definitely kids. Um, I've always said there are kids that come to play the game, and there are kids that come to get the snack after yes. the snack. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that's like the best the way. The treats after the game are sometimes better than than the game. And, they're there uh, because their parents told them they had to. So they're gonna sit on their yeah. glove in the outfield and stare at pick dandelions and stare at butterflies. That was my brother. And then there's the kids that are out there and they want to win it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I just played baseball like my dad did." So I I totally get it. I've I've seen both sides of that that spectrum. Yeah. All right, Madame Trent, look into your crystal ball. 
and tell us what what's what's coming up in the next few years. What do you what do you see trends? What do you see positive what's or negative? Predictor? What's what's your what's predicting? What's coming? Yeah. So well, right now, um, I will say you know certainly COVID has has had a dramatic impact on audits from from two years ago to now. We had stopped doing on sites for a period of time. We had these virtual audits that have um, just. Um, sprouted up, which are a combination of on-site and desk audits and creating headaches for pharmacies that are trying to deal with the pandemic. Um, we've seen the resumption of on-site audits this year. In the last three months, the, the big players have said, okay, we're coming back out and doing on-sites again. But they're also continuing virtual audits. And we don't think that virtual audits will go away. We think that they're going to play a new role in terms of just the types of it's audits that pharmacies are going to increase the quantity of audits that they push out. It, it certainly, if you look at the last uh, five years, pandemic aside, there's about a 50% increase in what we've seen from our members reporting audits and coming wow. in. And so we're going to continue to see audits. I, I don't think there's a question of that. Um, they they work on their algorithms and, and look at trying to identify the outliers and recoupment, and they get better and smarter and change how they are reviewing things. Um, and our goal is to make it easier for members. You know, our goal, we obviously are a member-driven organization. Our goal is to um, keep our members happy and, and provide additional value to them. So we have a lot of tools and resources. We provided a lot of COVID-19 tools and resources, attestations. You know, what about all these vaccinations and timing and how do I know when I should give this and how do I protect myself in the event of an audit? Because there are audits on vaccine administration, just the administration portion, just the $40 that pharmacies are getting and, um, reimbursed potentially. There there are audits on that. Huh. What and are they so, auditing on that? On that? What's that? What are they auditing on the? So they're looking for uh, potentially a placeholder prescription. What kind of documentation do you have that you generated this pursuant to a protocol, pursuant to the federal authorization? They're looking for the vaccine administration record. So did you actually administer that? What what arm? What lot number? What expiration date? Uh, they're looking to make sure that you build the right quantity. That's the number one reason Tricare audits uh, immunizations, mm. even though they're not paying for the drug. You will get an audit if you build the wrong quantity. And so you bill it all right, but you build one ML instead of half of an ML, and TRICARE will come and audit that claim. And then, of course, you want to avoid that, right? You don't want to go through the audit, have to submit all the paperwork. It's probably fine, but it's just the headache and hassle of having to do that. So the VAR, um, the submission clarification codes, making sure you're billing the appropriate submission clarification code based on what vaccine you're giving. Is this the first time they're getting the vaccine? Is it the second dose in the initial primary series? Is it an additional dose of the primary series for the immune compromised? Is it a booster dose? And, and so trying to keep those straight um, and making sure that the patient really qualifies. What happens if the patient didn't get that yep. additional at your pharmacy? Do you have a immunization registry? Do they have their COVID vaccination card with them? How do you mm -hmm. know that this is the right time? There were patients Real early in the pandemic, there was a patient that got like 12 vaccinations in a period of like a month, a month and a half. He just went to every pharmacy and, um, what? for whatever reason, right? And, and so pharmacies can can run into issues um, getting audited and saying, well, why would you have vaccinated this patient multiple times or did you know that they had received other vaccinations? So we see vaccinations on the administration. We also are seeing audits on the OTC test now, right? So um, beginning at the beginning of the year, pharmacies were able to provide OTC tests to commercial that got expanded to Medicare patients as well. Okay. And so they're looking for documentation related to the patient's request to obtain these tests. 
right? So Medicare in particular, they came out and said, you need to document the patient's request to um, obtain COVID-19 OTC tests. And we reserve the right to audit you for that request, that documentation. And so that can be electronic, right? So a pharmacy could put a note in the Pioneer Rx system that says, Susie called in on this date at this time and requested a test to be filled. Um, it could be in a, a PDF form, it could be on a paper trail. Um, huh. uh, pharmacies that have digi digitized prescriptions can scan in that request and make that their prescription record. So we provide tools and resources and, and kind of educate pharmacies. We've seen pharmacies struggle on OTC COVID-19 test audits. Um, they purchase tests from another pharmacy, mm -hmm. a buddy, and now they don't have invoices for that test. Right. And the buddy that they bought it from isn't cooperative to say where he got it from. We've seen pharmacies billing, because the reimbursement is the same for all the tests, some pharmacies aren't looking at, well, does it really matter what NDC or UPCI bill? Right. Yeah, yes, it, it does. It, right. it, it really does. And PBMs care, Medicare cares. Um, you have to make sure they're FDA authorized, cleared, or approved. There are some out there that are not or that are imported inappropriately. The FDA has identified some of those out, mm -hmm. products out there. And it's just making sure that pharmacies are sourcing their product appropriately, um, billing them appropriately, billing for the NDC you're dispensing, some basics. You know, you can't bill a quantity of eight tests if it comes in a five-count pack. It's, it's, that's an audit trigger. You know, we're talking about flags. Billing for eight OTC COVID tests when it's a five-pack. Uh, what did you give the patient? You know, and so um, those kinds of things um, right now are, are creating issues and, and obviously foresee that um, for the duration of the pandemic, um, we certainly see ongoing um, requirements surrounding audits and, and getting better and additional tools and resources to proactively educate pharmacies. One of the things that we, we have in our, our crystal ball to go forward with is we know pharmacies are swamped. They're super busy. They've got a lot of challenges. And so one of the things we want to do is create additional tools for how do you train that new employee to understand and appreciate the things impact that yep. PBM mm -hmm. audits can have? And, and what is my role as a technician? Um, I, I have a lot of independent pharmacy owner friends, and it's like, hey, can you help me train these technicians? We have a lot of tools, but it, it's aggregating them and making them, it, whether it's an on-demand webinar or making them into a super user-friendly format that a pharmacy manager or owner can just say, hey, go through this past training, it's an mm -hmm. hour long, and you'll have a much better perspective about what things you can do and what things not to do and why That'd be we interesting do to add to the um, Pioneer University, so. Yep. Yeah. Could you tell everybody what your website is and we'll put it on yeah. there too. Yeah, it's passnational.com, P-A-A-S, that stands for Pharmacy Audit Assistance Service, okay. national.com, passnational. Sounds like a great service that you guys are providing. Um, I don't know why you don't have 10,000 pharmacies as your membership. <laughs> so, um, it, hey, if you're listening to this, go to the website, check it out. I hear there's free webinars that, that you guys are doing just to give give stuff back. Uh, you're always there to help us when we ask questions, even yep. though we're not paying members. And so appreciate you for that and for all you're doing for uh, community pharmacies. It's good to have a, a business that's doing good. And I think you guys are doing a lot of good and, and just want to say thank you for that. No, thank you so much for having me, for, for sharing the word and um, for the collaboration. Like I said, Josh is great to work with. I, I implore and, and support really Pioneer X reaching out and trying to do the right things to help independent pharmacies Absolutely. Uh, thrive. All right. Thank, thank you. you and so much, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks, All right. Guys. Bye, Bye, Trent. Bye.
Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.